Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Gennari. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Robin, hi. How are you? And how are things in paradise? Paradise is wonderful. It is so beautiful in Costa Rica. Um, I feel incredibly lucky, blessed, privileged. Um, there's so many aspects of my gratitude and understanding of like what got us here. Uh, but ultimately, we're here in this beautiful space. And uh, I spoke uh, last time about wholeness as my word for the year. And I feel very whole here. I feel that I've had time to step away from the day-to-day stuff that was going on in our lives to assess what works and what doesn't, and to be really intentional about how we move through life now that we're in a new space. And, you know, every time you move, you kind of have that opportunity to reset in some way. So we've certainly done that. And I'm really grateful to be here with the sunshine and the butterflies and all the amazing animals here in Costa Rica. Um, how are you doing, Anne Therese? First of all, I hate you and love you at the same time. <laughs> I'm sorry to all my wintering friends. I know. <laughs> I am in New York, which is freezing cold at the moment. I also live by the river and it's super windy here, but not complaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also am stuck with a with a flu of some sort. So I was told it's not COVID. At least my home testing kit told me it's not COVID, but who knows? Um, it's just staying put and isolating anyways. But uh, no, I'm good. Honestly, I am taking this time being sick as a very needed kind of death and rebirth in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that came to me in my meditation this morning. It was like, you know, right now, part of you is dying because there's something new to come and just let it happen. And I am surrendering to that. And it's for me right now, it's a time of self-love and rejuvenation and um, coming back to center. It's been a crazy few weeks, if not a crazy year. And as you guys know, we just moved into a new place as well. And so it's been a lot of setting that up and, you know, wanting to start the the year kind of like running and kicking and just didn't happen. <laughs> so here I am kicking in bed instead, but um, it feels good. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for having the opportunity to just be sick. Honestly, it feels good. Hmm. That's yeah, that's, it's great that you can look at it that way. Cause I know sometimes it can be really tough on us and into anyone else who is going through, whether you just got Omicron as you know, my family all got it a few weeks ago. So we've, we got the cron, you know, if you're going through it, or if you have family or friends, loved ones who are not feeling well, you know, just know our heart is with you. And what are the opportunities that you can find in these challenging times? That's what, what I've come back to many times in the past. And you know, I hope that as we move through the winter months, you know, for, for everyone who's really in that winter space and any challenges or the transformation, it requires us to have these challenges, these pressures on us in order to grow. So I hope that any challenges that you have, dear listener, that you are also able to have amazing, beautiful lessons come through and growth as well. Thank you, Robin. I feel like you are the strong God is living in Costa Rica right now, being able to channel that inner wisdom. So thank you. Easy for me to say all of this here in the sunshine, but I've certainly been through it, you know, growing up in Canada, I've definitely, I've I've been through all the, uh, the physicality of, you know, of winter in many ways and challenges. And I've been 
broke on my ass trying to live in New York, all the things. So I've, I've been there for sure. Yeah. And spring is so much more beautiful when you go through all the, the dark times. So there's, there are yes. things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, the cycles. Yes. Cycles. So important. I'm really trying to live with the cycles these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have um, a really interesting um, conversation coming up today. We have two European men on our show. One is from Tetra Pak, which is a global company producing packaging. And another one is from CDP, which is a global nonprofit helping companies report their environmental impact so that we have a kind of across the line measures to go after. So a very interesting conversation. And um, we'll just start by introducing the two gentlemen and then we'll head right in. So excited for everyone to hear this conversation. And Therese did this uh, this interview solo, so I'm really excited as well because this is a great conversation for us to learn more about how CDP works and uh, what the future holds for us. So the first person I'd like to introduce is David Lammers. David has worked at CDP for five years, most recently as the Associate Director of Corporate Operations. David is a key representative of CDP Europe within decision-making bodies, whose focus is on the corporate disclosure process. His team acts as the focal point for European companies disclosing to CDP. The CDP is the Carbon Disclosure Project. It's a nonprofit charity that runs the global disclosure system for investors, companies, cities, states, and regions to manage their environmental impacts. The world's economy looks to the CDP as the gold standard of environmental reporting with the richest and most comprehensive database on corporate action. Our second guest is Gilles Tisserand. Gilles is the Vice President of Sustainability, Climate and Biodiversity at Tetra Pak, and he regularly partakes in discussions around sustainability, biodiversity, and the circular economy. Most recently, Gilles partook in the European Business and Nature Summit to discuss Tetra Pak's experience as part of the Business for Biodiversity movement. And if you don't know about Tetra Pak, it's the world's leading food processing and packaging solutions company working closely with their customers and suppliers to provide safe food for all. And they have been recognized for leadership in corporate sustainability by global environmental nonprofit CDP and secured a place on its A-list for the third year in a row, running for both climate change as well as acting to protect forests. This is so exciting because this conversation gives us an idea of where we're headed. You know, I think that there's a lot of um, this urgency that we have of heading into a climate just future. And uh, we're going to get some great insights into what that transition can look like. And before we hand it over to our guest, I just want to disclose something. I kept butchering. (laughs) Gilles' name through the entire interview. And I'm so embarrassed. I actually asked him before we started, can you please let me know how to say your name? And I practiced it. And still, I just kept saying it wrong. <laughs> so I guess those are the interview nerves that gets going. And um, I'm sorry, Jill. Jill is how you say his name. And just ignore me through the interview. And um, please enjoy this lovely conversation with David and Jill. Hi guys. Hi, David. Hi, G. So nice to have you on Hey Change Podcast. Welcome. Hello. Nice to meet you too. Hello. Super nice to meet you both. So we're having you tune in from Berlin and Paris? No. 
Exactly. Yes, Paris. Berlin and Paris. And I'm in New York City. I love this. A very global podcast all of a sudden. Um, awesome. So today I'm, we're going to talk about really exciting things in my world, in my opinion, which is the transition into a more climate positive future that we're all voting for, obviously. And uh, we're going to get some insight into what you guys are doing both at Tetra Pak and at CDP. So I want to actually start with CDP so we get the lay of the land a little bit. David, can you tell us what CDP does and why it was founded in the first place? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, CDP is a nonprofit organization or, or NGO, also commonly referred to. Uh, and we host the world's largest environmental disclosure system. Uh, we were founded uh, in the year 2000 and, and with the initial ambition to really bring transparency about environmental impacts and environmental activities into, into the investment space in the first place. So um, you should recall this was 20 years ago. So um, it wasn't actually that um, that sort of frequently um, uh, widespread that companies would transparently report in a very structured fashion about what they're doing on the environmental side and uh, and and the goals they have set themselves, how they're interacting with their supply chains. Uh, so CDP's mission in the first place was to provide that tr- a type of transparency and to allow investors to have a look at that and then to decide which companies they actually want to uh, continue investing in uh, when they're pursuing more sustainable business investments. And um, yeah, um, initial users of this information were really, I would almost say, more more niche investors that were really, really um, uh, yeah, concerned with ensuring they're only investing in, in a green and sustainable fashion. But this has really grown over time uh, into being, a, the, I would even say, the most important source for environmental inf- information for the complete investment space uh, globally and um, yeah, is now being, being used by and being requested by uh, the vast majority of big asset managers and investors globally. Yeah, and I will say I kept hearing CDP pop up in different podcasts and it was experts talking like, oh, the CDP report. And I'm like, what is that? I need to know what that is. <laughs> um, so it's definitely becoming a widespread just go-to place to, to, to find that transparency. And I think that's something that's so needed. Like we can't just rely on individual companies telling they're doing the right thing because we need to have some sort of system in place that we can actually make sure that they are. Mm-hmm. And um, something that's becoming increasingly clear to me is that we need to fund the transition into a better future. So we can't just say, okay, let's ditch this world today and start living a carbon neutral, all green energy world tomorrow. Like there has to be a shift that goes on. And it's that transition that we need to be funding right now. And in many ways, you are helping accelerate that transition because you're helping investors find the right companies to invest in. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit more on that? Yes, sure. I'm sure. And uh, again, happy to. So indeed, as you say, um, the the transition that we're speaking about will require a tremendous amount of investment. And uh, I've actually just dug up one key figure that I thought could be interesting since we did an anal- uh, uh, analysis lately um, on, on this particular element. And um, we found in a report last year that in order to achieve climate neutrality by 2050, um, capital investment by companies would need to actually double from 59 billion in uh, what was the investment in, in 2019 to around 122 billion a year. And that's actually just for companies in the European Union. So you can imagine the scale of investment that we need to see in, in, uh, in the world. Um, and as you correctly said, that money needs to come from somewhere. And that's really where the financial market comes in. So while on the one hand, we of course have government investments and public investments that can uh, fuel this type of transition, we really rely on the leverage of the financial market to fund the activities that 
we uh, need for for this um, yeah for this type of change and especially because some of the uh, technologies and the and the shifts that we need to see don't necessarily pay off from one year or the, to the other, right? So it requires investment that is also, uh, yeah, um, pursued from a from a long term fashion, and where investors are fine to uh, invest in technologies that will only come to fruition in five, ten years from from now onwards, but that are even more required to be developed because, um, yeah, otherwise we won't achieve the change that we see essentially. And you also just published a report that said that companies are more than twice as likely to publicly disclose environmental impact information if directly engaged by an investor. So what is this really telling us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good reference to make. Indeed, that was a report we published just last week. Um, maybe it uh, helps to to bring it back uh, just just briefly to the lens of the investors and I said why they are uh, collecting this information and why they have used CDP in this respect. So um, CDP has usually served as a, as a bit of a of a funnel as a voice to the companies and as a standardized system that would allow the investors to group up and say and tell companies. Uh, uh, we don't need you to report to us individually. We don't need this information via email or through your own websites or reports. But here is CDP. It's an NGO, nonprofit space uh, with the standardized systems where you can bring in your information, environmental information, and that helps us all alike. Um, and uh, the the interesting thing is that over time, CDP has certainly developed an own brand. So when we talk to companies now that are not reporting in this fashion yet, most of them would usually know us and, and know that this is something that investors actually actually uh, value and use. However, we do face situations, yeah, also quite frequently where companies would come back to us and say, um, well, we're actually not so sure if our investors really need this. We're actually, we actually think the way uh, um, in which we're reporting some stats and key figures on a website uh, currently is, is totally sufficient. Um, and in these cases, for companies to hear directly back from their investors and, and get directly approached and being told that CDP is actually the system of choice because, yeah, it's comparable, it's structured, it's standardized, um, and it's certainly more granular than what most companies would initially put uh, on their website uh, is extremely powerful. And um, yeah, to me, that really just shows that the leverage that the financial market can have really works. It's not just a myth or, or something that, um, yeah, some companies like or organizations like ours talk about, but the leverage is really there. And um, yeah, that's something I, I think is, is quite encouraging. So if a company makes an A-list in on any of your lists, you can you can trust that that's a good company to be supporting, at least this year. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's um, that's that's how I would put it, um, and it's actually a good um, a good good interference because we haven't really been talking about the rating aspect of it so much so at this point, right? Um, but since you mentioned it, indeed, uh, any company that reports to a CDP also gets rated by us in the in the next step, and uh, receives a score from from A to D. And uh, indeed, the companies that we have on the A list are those that we know have been putting in place uh, strong measures on the governance side. They have usually established board level reporting uh, for and board level responsibility for climate matters. They have set themselves strong reduction targets, uh, have a very solid risk and also opportunity identification measurement. And they are actually achieving year on year emissions reductions, which is of course, after all, what, what we're all in there for. Um, so from this angle, that's really on the climate side, uh, what, what a place on the 
I A-list represents. Uh, we also have an A-list for water and forest, uh, so for those themes and separation. Um, the one thing I would always just encourage, um, yeah, um, uh, every also the, the interested audience here to keep in mind is that CDP as an organization, we mostly look at the environmental side of things. So if you're as a listener interested in sort of, you know, also the social aspects of sustainability, there are other uh, indicators for that, but on the environmental side and maybe Jill uh, from his perspective can also, uh, um, yeah, uh, can also elaborate on that from, a, from the company perspective on the environmental side. Um, the CDP rating is indeed a very strong indicator for a company that, that is um, has set themselves up in a way that allows them to transition going forward, and that will mean a responsible investment for a business uh, for an investor. So it's that E and ESG that you exactly exactly on. yeah great. And G, let's t bring it to you a little bit because this is something that you have been working a lot towards at Tetra Pak, and you have made the A list for both climate and forest for three years in a row now, which is very impressive. Um, so can you tell us more about how you guys look at transparency? Because I feel like that is something that we keep as consumers and citizens are asking companies to bring forth, especially as ESG goals continue to spread and companies want to you know, put themselves out there with a good image. And we want to make sure that we're not just greenwashing and actually heading towards um, a better future. So what does transparency and those ESG efforts mean to you at Tetra Pak? I mean, thanks, first of all, to, to David with the discussion. And I really liked it and, and how you could see the influence of reporting, disclosing into um, the choice that uh, in, in investors can have. Well, in the case of the Trapac, they're not a, a big company, right? It doesn't stop us actually um, from having, from day one, since the creation of the company in 1951, to have put sustainability at the heart of our strategy, our way of working, our governance. And when it comes to uh, transparency, to disclosing, we've actually started um, environmental performing, performance reporting since 1999. Um, and we've been expanding to the broader sustainability issue, so let's say the S and the G in ESD since 2005. Um, so that has been in our DNA, I would say, in a way to show to the whole value chain um, the suppliers, our customers, the consumers, that we have actions, that we have goals, and also to demonstrate our achievements. And in that sense, what CDP is offering is this widely recognized, this gold standard of corporate environmental disclosure. And that's super key now, and, and, and we can see it. Um, consumers, they want facts. They just don't want a simple claim as, oh, I'm an eco-friendly pack or I'm an eco-friendly company, I'm a green whatever. They want the details. And that's what we started with CDP a while ago. And that we see in, I would say, our daily job, more and more of our customers, but also consumers now, are asking for transparency in the details. And you could see that even big FMCG companies, and I'm, I, I'm thinking of PepsiCo, for example, they are putting in their tenders to have a certain CDP score. And that's what we also at Tetra Pak are doing with our own suppliers. We've started a program called Join Us in Protecting the Planet with companies that are supplying uh, board, so product made from, 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 from the forest, polymers when we're using plastic typically, and we are asking them to reach a certain score within CDP. So transparency is very key along the value chain. Um, and, and, and that's very key for us. And we are very proud to have for the third year in a row, this uh, double A in forest and climate. Congratulations. 
And it also sounds like it's not just that you want to be the only company claiming that spot, but you are inviting other companies as well to join you on that journey. Yeah, you're totally correct. So, I mean, first of all, if we uh, go back to our history with, uh, with CDP, we've somehow uh, participated to the pilot, pilot they, they, they created in 2015 on, on, on Forest. And we've since have been reporting into that and bringing, again, our suppliers into this approach for uh, disclosing. Um, and if we take a step back, we can't tackle climate change, nor have, I would say, a resilient, sustainable future, uh, an economic opportunities around what is becoming the green economy if we don't work all together. And when I say work together, it's us, Tetra Pak, driving that agenda with, again, our suppliers, but driving that consciousness with the customers, the FMCG companies. But it's also working with the NGOs and, and the cities, uh, working with politicians. And that's also something that I think CDP did well, is that they have included into the reporting uh, cities and regions. And we can't, again, fix uh, the, 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 the sustainability challenge we are facing if we go alone. It's all about collaboration. And if you want to start collaboration, you need to speak the same language. And that's also how important reporting is because you see clearly what's the situation and what's the improvement plan. Uh, and even if you start with a D, that's okay, I want to say. Let's build the plan to get to a C and a B and an A level. It's all about the journey together, I want to say. I can just, uh, yeah, super quickly second exactly what you just said there, Jill, and I'm really happy to hear that we're uh, sort of expressing the same narrative, same message, of course, to the, to the companies that participate, because even though we want all companies to be leaders, we also very much acknowledge that companies need to start somewhere. And uh, yeah, starting with a D isn't uh, a bad thing as such. D actually stands for disclosure, which means you have started to become transparent in the first place and you work your way up from there. And then learning from the leaders like Tetra Pak is, is certainly something that then these companies can, can do to move, move forward. So what I'm seeing and hearing from both of you is I'm always getting this like world being, you know, kind of scripted for me. And what I'm seeing is there's like a positive peer pressure going on where you kind of want to peer pressure other companies into that getting disclosure and, and you just continue on this journey together and you are asking for collaboration. And that is something that I feel like it's almost like a paradigm shift where the old world we're sort of saying that, you know, in order to win, other people have to lose. And the same thing goes for companies. And it's always like the hierarchy of like who can be at the top and be best and win. And I think it's slowly happening. But I think the paradigm shift that's like slowly taking place is that we're starting to understand that if we are to have a planet to live on in the future and to hand over a livable future to our children and their children, we have to come together in collaboration. And it's not just about like doing the right thing and being the bigger man, but it's also about finding other ways to be financially successful um, and to run a business successfully. But in order to do so in the new world, quote unquote, we have everyone, we need everyone on board because one company in silo cannot operate completely environmentally unless their supply suppliers also are, you know, eco-friendly and, you know, their customers care about the things. Like it's all an ecosystem that kind of have to come together and move jointly towards the same direction. 
Yeah, I mean, if I, I mean, in, in the sustainability world, we we talk a lot about uh, we talk a lot about ecosystem, as you said. We talk a lot about value chain. Uh, when we talk about climate, we also talk a lot about about scope one, two, and three, right? Which is basically your operations and then the rest of the value chain, the rest of your footprint. And that concept of scope three, which we have heard a lot during the COP twenty seven, is crucial. If we take the example of Tetra Pak and we look into our climate footprint, our operations. So our factories, um, we include in, 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 in the traffic operations or business travel, it accounts for 5% of the total greenhouse gas uh, impact. So it's little. We are running a massive program to reduce it dramatically, right? Typically, between 2010 to 2019, we have reduced that Tetra Pak operations footprint by 50%. And we are moving towards net zero for 2030 by reducing by close to 75% that footprint right now. But what about the 95% that is on the rest of the value chain? And that is key. And that's why we are also engaging with our suppliers so that we make sure that they produce in the right way, that they source their raw materials in the right way. And we are also engaging with, again, the retailers, the uh, consumers, so that they have the right consumption pattern. And that's where collaboration uh, is key. Um, and again, Tetra Pak is working on the world of, of uh, food, right? And the, the food industry um, equals one third of the greenhouse gas uh, emissions. So that's huge. So we have a responsibility to drive change on climate, but also on biodiversity. And, and, and that's why I think it's also great that CDP uh, came up with a, a trailblazer kind of uh, 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 ranking um, in which we, we are part of those trailblazers because we recognize our ability to have impact in this whole value chain. So we need a systemic approach. Reporting is, again, a super key basis to uh, speak the same language and see where the improvements are. Just to, to, to add that, um, Jill, indeed, um, what you just said also holds uh, holds true from the stats that we see uh, across all companies. So with the uh, based on the data set of, of emissions that companies have been reporting, we have found that um, the on average, uh, a company's supply chain emissions are actually 11.4 times higher than their direct operational emissions. And that holds true as an average across all sectors. So as you, as you mentioned there, Jill, in order for a company to really pursue the impact, the highest impact that they can have it is to focus on on their supply chains oftentimes and uh, back to your initial um, yeah observation there there on which i can uh, really second i also find it really encouraging to see that while on the one hand uh, you you can have companies in a sector still be super competitive and and um, also wanting to outshine each other's with respect to who's creating the better products but maybe also who has a stronger environmental agenda and still the same companies bundling forces and, and bundling up in joint initiatives to then extend that message to their supply chains because um, yeah it's it's also obvious that if, if suppliers that are um, um, that are supplying goods to different companies would be hearing very different messages or very different asks from all these customers then they would also be torn in very different directions but the fact that these companies like Tetra Pak and others are grouping up and expressing the same message to their suppliers this is important for us and this is what we expect you to do is a very strong lever for the market. And David, in 2021, you launched your new five-year strategy, accelerating the rate of change. What are your vision and hopes for this plan? 
Yeah, thanks for for bringing that up. Um, indeed, um, the the new yeah strategy and plan has just been launched, and I would probably look at this from a from a twofold perspective. Uh, on the one hand, um, it yeah, and you can you can see it's uh, emerging from the from the strategy quite clearly. We do acknowledge that climate change is probably um, yeah the most urgent and, and drastic challenge that we need to look at uh, in the most immediate term. Um, the world has been warming uh, already. Twenty again was the hottest year on record and in order to have a slim chance to reach the 1.5 degrees target we really need to see action accelerate and then um, yeah uh, ramp up uh, over the next couple of years really 2030 is, is the main sort of uh, next milestone that we that we're looking for so on the one hand um, we will ask companies to really step up their game and we will uh, look at uh, even more so uh, at how companies are really um, setting themselves up to master this transition, not just on the data or, or year-to-year actions that they're undertaking, but are they putting in the required investments to change their business models? Are they setting the, uh, the meaningful targets that we need to see? And are they, yeah, adjusting themselves in a way that will also, um, yeah, uh, ensure they remain profitable and and uh, relevant in a low-carbon society? Because again, that's from an investor perspective, a really important component, not just for a company to be acting on the environmental footprint for its own sake, but also to remain profitable and, and relevant in a society that hopefully operates under under lower, lower carbon scenarios. Um, and the second pillar is that we want to go and, and look beyond climate, because while, as said, climate is, is probably the most urgent challenge, and it has been picked up by um, the, the media and, and sort of uh, external uh, actors quite, quite widely in the last couple of years, I would say, there is also an accompanying uh, crisis in nature going on that we see with the depletion of water bodies, with the um, destruction of, of forests um, uh, globally, but also other environmental dimensions, as we like to call them. And all of these are very intrinsically interlinked. Um, there is no no, no climate-friendly uh, um, world without uh, water resources. Um, that is also very clear. Water is a key component to most of the climate mitigation activities. And um, yeah, I think the connection of forests and forest preservation to to climate mitigation is also quite clear, but they also have, uh, of course, an, an, an immense value in themselves. So shifting also the focus away from this pure climate lens into wider environmental dimensions is certainly something that we'll pursue. We have, as I briefly mentioned already a couple of years ago, extended the scope to, to water and, and forestry matters, but we'll also start looking further into biodiversity matters, but also yeah, topics like um, oceans and, and land use and then food more generally, um, and aiming for really a holistic environmental perspective uh, from these companies. Because it's all interlinked. There's Absolutely. no way we can't just focus on climate because then we'll miss a huge mark. If Absolutely. we deplete the, the earth of all biodiversity, there's no way of even like succeeding on the climate front. We have to really work on all fronts at the same time. And the same goes for social rights and making sure that the people are taken care of. And so that's why it's such an integrated effort and, and challenge. But that's also why we need people on all fronts working on all fronts and all times. And so... Maybe, G, if you want to talk a little bit on your efforts on this, because you made the forest A-list also three years in a row. So what are what does it take to make an A-list? Do you have any insight into how hard it is for a company to actually achieve that stamp? 
well, I must say that's, that's, that's not easy, right? But we've been doing consistently, uh, um, I would say we've been getting consistently this, this A score in climate, but also uh, in forest um, with CDP in the past three years, indeed. And, and if we go back even in time, I think we got uh, an A minus four years and, and, and five years ago. That's not an easy task, especially that I would say the requirements uh, continue to uh, get tougher uh, year after year. First of all, what we need to recognize is that you need uh, the right governance and you need the right stakeholder engagement within your company. Starting from the C-suite, the CEO level, they need to understand the challenges coming uh, with sustainability. And if we discuss forest, it's a lot about, in our case, supply and, and supply management, but how timber uh, uh, diligence is, is being done. Um, so we start from governance. We also put in place a um, strong action plan to guarantee responsible sourcing, to guarantee certification, to guarantee traceability. And at a time where your supply chain might evolve, might be, uh, I would say, challenged by a transport issue, you need again to have this consistent approach and sometimes makes also business decision not to go to a certain supplier because they don't fit your environmental requirements. I think we've been exposed at Tetra Pak to suppliers that typically are not FSC certified, where we couldn't have the right traceability, and we made a business decision not to go to. Um, so that's very important to, uh, to, uh, to recognize. Um, and that's how we are continuing, I would say, uh, to drive that, um, that A, A score. One other example that I like to, to, to use, and that's also thanks to the CDP exercise itself, is that we're getting a score every year. It pushes us to, uh, to improve. We've recently uh, launched a program where we're using satellite imagery to um, make sure that all across our value chain, uh, there's no deforestation, there's no slavery. So we have pushed really the basic principle of responsible sourcing to the highest limits, up to a point that I would say from our side at Tetra Pak, we are going beyond the no harm approach to even the restore. So when I, when I hear David talk about the next step of CDP, about biodiversity land use, I think it fits very well what we are planning to do. So again, it's not easy. Uh, it requires a systemic approach. It requires the right governance focus. It requires the right business focus. But at the end, it's a business opportunity for all the companies. I think we've shown at Tetra Pak that you can decouple your climate footprint, your forest footprint with growth. So we've been growing uh, year after year, while in the past 15 years, we've been decreasing our climate footprint. And that's also a great example in how we want to use the CDP reporting to show that it's possible and to take the whole value chain with us on that journey. That's so wonderful. Would you... Would you say this is something that only bigger companies with like maybe some deeper pockets are able to do? Or maybe David or both of you can answer this. Is it because it sounds like such a big take on to make sure that all suppliers are green and like supporting your efforts um, that you want to do. So I don't know, like, are you asking major companies mainly or is it for anyone to try to get a CDP score? 
Yeah, I can give a give a first perspective, but uh, also uh, interested to hear from Gilles on on this angle uh, in, in particular. Um, in general, CDP is reaching out to yeah uh, thousands of companies. We had thirteen thousand companies reporting uh, through the system just last year, uh, out of which around three thousand were stock listed, so on the on the stock market. Whereas the vast majority, as you can hear, were were small or supplier companies, private companies, partially uh, small and medium enterprises as well. Now, when you look at the A-list, um, I think it's yeah, it's also okay to acknowledge that you will find some some certainly some bigger names on there, and and companies, of course, that have the means to also structure themselves in a way to set up uh, the respective departments and so on to to uh, look after these issues. Have certainly certainly have other means than than companies that don't uh, have the same. But at the same time, we do have plenty of examples of companies that um, yeah, just start with an overall uh, uh, ambition and uh, manage to achieve exactly the same. And what we sometimes see from these slightly smaller companies is that while they may not have the same sort of um, size of sustainability departments or, or, or something comparable, often the the uh, acknowledgement and the interest in these matters goes very straight into the board level. And there is a very strong commitment also from, from the management and the top level management of these smaller companies to really make a change. And that's where, um, yeah, I, I can say that can really make up for, let's say, the, the uh, you know, uh, slightly lower financial means. Um, at the same time, at least from our side, and again, happy to also hear from Gilles there, we're also not uh, expecting every single company to, to be up there on the A-list uh, with everyone else. In particular, for small and medium enterprises, we have a reduced questionnaire in the first place because we don't want the, the reporting burden to stand in the way of the company's ambition to really make a change and to, to make a difference. And um, uh, this is also something I, I'd say that gets picked up quite well from the companies because it still gives them a chance to present themselves, to, to elaborate on what they're doing, and um, yeah, not just be, be sort of overly concerned about the uh, highest level of granularity if it's something that we can't really expect from them. Somehow having trailblazers uh, as Tetrapack has been recognized is a fantastic way to get the whole value chain and not only the, the, the big players uh, into reporting and into um, actions, uh, climate actions and, and actions on, on the supply chains uh, related to forests. What we see indeed is that this reporting, disclosing might be a big word and, and we have a role to play as Tetrapack to engage the, our customers and the small one to explain What's the, I would say, the value uh, in terms of image, in terms of credibility, in terms of uh, journey? Um, and in a way, I think we as a company, we are also reassuring the smaller players in the food value chain, which we know might be very diverse. You have, we have customers that have basically uh, 20 cows and they're making yogurt or they're making milk and they need to be onboarded, right? And in a way, we have been using, um, the CDP has a sign of success and we've been using also that as an opportunity. I would say we've been using disclosing and reporting as a business opportunity, let's be honest. We have been developing fantastic solutions when it comes to packaging, when it comes to processing that can bring clear CO2 reduction or clear water usage reduction. And those are tools that our customers can use to then report and show success. So it's that whole dynamic that we need to think uh, to think about. I also want to mention that somehow in certain countries, starting with the EU, we are seeing um, a pressure from legislation on reporting. It's going to come at some point, especially in the food industry, right? Um, so starting that journey, 
with partners like CDP, with with uh, with with partners like Tetra Pak, is the best way to get into that system about transparency. And and we've discussed about the consumer needs. Uh, clearly, when we do consumer research, we see that consumer they're all willing to have that transparency. They're all willing to uh, I would say get the information. Um, uh, so. That CDP reporting is, is, is a way for the brands and the consumers to have that information available for everybody to see. One element I think that we also need to keep in mind and then thinking of sort of big corporations versus or, or in comparison to these smaller companies is that for a big corporation, while you may have um, sort of higher funds and then also bigger departments at times, changing to the degree that we need to see also essentially uh, equates to uh, moving a, a giant cargo ship in a different direction, right? And what we're also looking at, as, as mentioned, is, for instance, the overall percentage of year-on-year emission reductions across the all uh, the whole uh, company uh, global corporation that we need to see from one year to the other or only for instance applying the highest uh, level of, of points if a company has achieved 90% of their electricity to come from renewable sources and achieving this as a giant multinational corporation with facilities all over the world in very different markets is actually something that is really really difficult and where maybe even let's say smaller companies that operate in fewer markets a bit more localized and with a bit more uh, higher agility in their in their ways of operating could actually also manage to change sometimes faster and, and to to meet the requirements a bit easier uh, than than these giant corps very interesting and my next question actually was going to be Jean, and you kind of let me in there if you and I'll I'll ask both of you to answer this question. Um, do you see the economies like the driving factor to accelerate climate action, or does it have to be a mix of governance and legislation and that kind of push where companies are incentivized to do the right thing, but also kind of forced to actually move the needle on what needs to happen? So, I mean, there's no there's no black and white answer when we come when when we come to talking about sustainability and, and change right we need every party to be involved uh, consumers ngo association companies uh, um, countries regions we all need to be uh, involved and it's a little bit like the, the the carrots and the stick right we also need both if i take the example of tetra Pak, we've been investing 100 million euros yearly to drive sustainable portfolio to drive the development of sustainable portfolio it's about um, tethered caps it's about using plant-based polymer with a certified co2 reduction typically and in order to do that we as a company need to be uh, reassured about the legal framework right so uh, we do talk a lot about taxonomy, uh, especially in the EU at the moment. And, and working uh, around regulation is key for us to enable investment. So we have to recognize that as a company, we are one uh, element of an overall um, ecosystem. And again, it's not one against the other. It's really working together as one piece of the puzzle to drive uh, the change. Sometimes there might be conflict, but at least what's important is, at least to create the dialogue. And that's also where disclosing and reporting is the best way to have a sane and healthy discussion because it's fact-based. And that's what we want to drive. We want to avoid the emotions and we want to collectively move towards uh, solutions. 
Yeah, uh, Jill, I think you've, you've uh, presented it perfectly there, how these, these different sort of stakeholders and different elements of the system need to come together. I'm also very interested to hear once more from you that you're really looking out uh, or looking at politics for, for a stable uh, sort of planning environment and having these, these sort of criteria set right uh, in order to know what to pursue as a company. That's something that we definitely hear from all over the, the business space as well. One thing I could just add there is that, as we've said now a few times, it certainly requires joint efforts from from all all sort of forces. But the positive thing about the, the business community in particular now being so involved and having stepped up is that it can also sometimes display a bit of a counterweight whenever there are political forces at play that actually do not uh, pursue the, um, the the climate uh, question with the urgency that we need to see from them. And just to uh, maybe give one concrete example, when um, the former president of the United States uh, decided to pull out of the Paris Agreement, I found it really encouraging to see how the business community in the United States grouped up and um, issued a campaign that was labeled as we are still in. So really to send the message, even if our highest level political representative decides that this is not a matter of priority for him. Um, we as the business community still very much stand strongly behind this. And this in turn, and of course, also displays a strong signal to, to all their uh, market actors, also other political governments, that this may just be a moment of, in time and that there are strong forces in the country that still stand behind the climate, uh, climate question. And um, yeah, that's why I think the, the different forces in the in society really can can play an individual role. Yeah, and I actually wanted to head into that direction because I feel like as just a citizen right now talking to you guys and talking to a lot of other citizens, obviously, as we all do, I think it's so easy, and you brought up the example of Trump, you know, when we the news are just blasted with all this negative news about something and we forget that there are still forces working in the right direction. And I think that is something that I try to remind myself because Again, the news outlets do not like to shed good news around. It's all about like the tragic and disastrous events going on. And there are increasingly being, you know, a lot of climate disasters around the world, which is awful in itself. But we have to recognize that there are so many forces from, you know, governments, from companies, from corporates who really want to see this transition set into place. So I think I just want to like plug that as anyone who's listening that we, in those moments of, despair or hopelessness and maybe something hit as like a comet of just bad news it's 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 helpful to go and seek out you know what is still happening and I actually didn't know that they kind of you know formed an alignment of like we are still here we're still pushing and we're going to keep moving forward so that's just really encouraging to know and I guess my question is what's our role what's the citizen the consumer the everyday the voter the person like what is our role in terms of CDP reporting but also just in helping fund this transition yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm coming back to what I said. I think we, everybody has, has a role to play as, as citizens in our consumer choice. And, and, and I feel like we often uh, do consumer studies where we uh, basically measure the interest towards sustainability. And, and we've seen a strong trend of consumers that are saying that in their uh, buying act, they are gearing towards um, sustainable solutions. And that's great to see. And obviously, citizens, they have a role to play in elections. Uh, they have a role to play uh, outside. They have a role to play within association. And they have a role to play within their company. Uh, I'm a citizen working for a big company called Tetra Pak, and, and I'm very happy to be working for that company that has been showing this interest in sustainability from day one and 
results, right? So I feel very uh, aligned uh, with what we say. And as, as we said before, all economic parties, uh, political parties, uh, I would say, have a responsibility now that we say that climate change is a reality. We've known that for years. And we can use the platforms such as CDP again to get this focus, get the same understanding. And I'm coming back to what David said at the beginning. It has been shown that companies having an A score within CDP doing properly uh, ESG reporting are showing stronger financial results. Uh, Tetra Pak has been showing again that we've been growing on net sales uh, while decreasing climate. So that's possible and you can influence the value chain. So it's all about keeping the focus on what matters, which is driving change in your value change, reducing dramatically the climate impact. And that's very true when we talk about the, the, the food uh, industry. Um, and sometimes you hit some bumps on the road, but you need to continue, right? Uh, what we want is to reduce dramatically the carbon footprint of our industry. We want to reduce dramatically the biodiversity impact of our industry because that's for the best of what Earth needs. Uh, and again, we all have a role to play here. Indeed, I think as, as citizens and um, yeah, as citizens we all are, and, and this is maybe also me speaking as an individual rather than purely a representative of, of CDP, I would very much second what, what Jill said, that we have a role to play. Um, I think there's always an, an interesting sort of consideration to make between um, the, the, on the one hand, the type of change that we can also influence, but on the other hand, whether we should be looked at as responsible for, for driving this type of change. And that's probably where I would make a little bit of the separation, because I don't think we as individuals can be looked at as the responsibles uh, for, for addressing and, and generating this type of change. I think that would be a, uh, also pretty overwhelming for us in, in order to, to really look at ourselves in, in each and every, every uh, everyday decision as sort of the ones that are either making or breaking the system, so to say. But at the same time, we have a role to play, as said, and we can influence the system in very many ways. Jill described the, the consumer perspective. I've heard, also heard this and, and seen this from, from very many other companies that, of course, consumption choices make an impact. We sometimes tend to think that it's how much can an individual purchase uh, really result in. But uh, yeah, very many people that take very uh, um, many small steps actually have an impact in the in the consumption space for sure. You mentioned voting. To me, that is one of the biggest levers that we also have as individuals going to vote and and really voting those in power that are pursuing the agenda that we want to see, and to some degree even bringing it to the streets. And uh, I don't even mean in a, in a very radical fashion, but I would say uh, the climate movement, the youth movement, the Fridays for Future movements that we've seen over the last uh, couple of years, I do know that they have had an impact both on the corporates but also on the political forces at play and just the fact that that in germany for instance as an example no party not even the the uh, conservative party had an option to put sort of climate change on the sidelines of their program was really because it was it was clear from the street movements that this is something that voters do care about 
maybe finally, because you you asked about the the um, sort of contribution or involvement with CDP in this in this respect, um, CDP currently is is really mostly a I would say a program for for corporations and, and investors, but um, there are a couple of initiatives that we're involved in. One is, for instance, um, that we have also created a rating for investment funds. So for anyone, and that's yeah, uh, maybe more for people a bit more more advanced in their in a in their, in their career or whatever. But if you're looking into investing uh, yourself uh, some money into a fund for your retirement or whatever it is, you can also look at the climate friendliness of these funds that you're choosing for yourself. And that is something um, that yeah, we as CDP can also provide. And the other thing, and that is really a very, very inclusive scheme, which we have just partnered up with, is an European Union initiative. It's called the uh, EU Climate Pact. And that is really aiming to generate a cross-societal and, and really cross-system movement and momentum to, to step up for uh, climate protection. Anyone, be it a corporation, be it an individual, be it a city, can join this climate pact and make a commitment to what they're interested in doing um, to, to protect the climate. And um, yeah, it, it can really be anything. Um, even pledging to, to cycle to work two times a week already is something that we see can have a difference. And, and just becoming part of this global, or, or in this case, European, but still global movement of people that want to act in this fashion, I personally at least feel it can be very encouraging and, and very empowering. And you said something that I actually want to anchor in real quick, and that is that it's not so much our responsibilities, because if we keep saying that to ourselves, it's way too heavy, it's way too much responsibility, you know, to, to just put it that way. And I actually had this conversation last night, we had a friend over for dinner, and we were started talking about the whole movement and who's to blame and who's not to blame. I don't like to go there, but we ended up there anyways. And um, my husband goes, well, it's kind of you know, it's, it's, it's our parents' generation. I'm a millennial. So we're like saying like, it's, it's whoever we're growing up in like the 60s, 70s. And like, you know, they were creating this system that's now so pollutant. But at the same time, we were reaching this point where yes, but they didn't know better. Like we didn't have the information back then to understand how bad it was going to be for this generation, for future generations. And now we do know. And so it's actually more on our generation who have the facts in our hands. So like, okay, now we know it's not good. So how can we change moving forward but again it's not our responsibility either because now we have grown up in a system that's set in a way where this is what we're used to and so there is a lot that's being asked from citizen across the globe right now to recognize that we do live in a system that's not sustainable if we keep living how we always have lived we're not going to look at a very bright future but it's not a responsibility so much to do the right thing but an opportunity i always try to come back to like okay it's actually a really exciting time to be alive because I have the opportunity to participate in a really incredible, exciting shift and help write the script of whatever tomorrow looks like. And I think if we keep telling ourselves that, okay, it's not my responsibility, it's not my fault, this is what the world looks like, but I do have an opportunity here to, to do the right thing. And that's a really cool thing to think about. And so I just kind of wanted to plug that because I think it's way too overwhelming to wake up every morning and say, okay, it's my duty and my responsibility to shift the direction of tomorrow. Or, you know, it's like, who can, who can live with that pressure? Like no one can. So I wanted to say that before moving on. And the last thing I just want to plug, and it goes back to you, Jill, is that I think we have to recognize too, that back to the transition, 
and back to helping fund that transition. Tetra Pak is a company that produces packaging. And if you look at it black and white, it could be like, well, how good is that for the planet? You know, like I'm going to go and buy a milk carton and I'm going to put it in the trash and, you know, boom, that's just more pollution. But at the same time, how else will we deliver food? And so it goes back to food safety and it goes back to supplying communities across the globe and make sure that they can have healthy, nutritious foods in their homes. And so it's, it's never black and white. And also... It's about working with the communities to make sure that if you create a recyclable product, it can actually be recycled. And so it's back again to collaboration. It's back to community effort. It's back to having everyone on board, but also recognizing that we can't just all have a cow in a backyard. I live in New York City. Where am I going to put it? You know, like we do need to transport food somehow because that is the world we live in. And so how do we as companies and as citizens and as governments recognize that the shifts that need to happen and help fund the transition into a more sustainable world. Yeah, I mean, th thanks for raising that and, and, and the importance of uh, food safety and, and, and food quality. And I think us in our developed countries, we tend to uh, forget what's happening in uh, developing countries. And I'm thinking Africa, I'm thinking Asia, or even in our countries 60 years ago, where our grandparents and, 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 and great grandparents were actually boiling the milk to avoid getting disease, right? So the importance of uh, food packaging is, is uh, uh, about protecting the product. That's the point number one. Then obviously you need to make sure that you have the best sustainable packaging solution and it, it comes from the choice of the raw material you use and that's the reason why we have been using from day one renewable resourcing resources forest-based paper as the main material in our package that's why we're reporting to cdp on forest and we are making sure as you said down the whole value chain that we are engaging with the municipalities because they are the ones that collect we're working with the recycling companies because they're the ones sorting and taking the value of the product. And we're also working with consumers to make sure that they are aware of how to sort. So we, again, need the whole ecosystem to make sure that we reduce as much as possible the uh, sustainable impact of the package and at the same time maximize its health and safety uh, uh, value. I also just want to build on what you said on, on the responsibility versus the, the opportunities. To me, it's all about driving impact. And that point about impact and positive impact is something that you can think about as a citizen and you can think as your company's mission. Tetra Pak motto is about protects what's good. And it's about protecting food, the planet, and the people. And that's really something we want to bring throughout the full value chain. And again, CDP is a fantastic medium for us to improve our business, our way of working. We are happy to get criticized by CDP, by citizens, and we are using that as a way to drive change within the value chain. Wonderful. Guys, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm so happy to have had the chance to meet with you all virtually. Um, a question that we'd like to end each conversation is with is, are you a climate optimist? And if so, why or why not? David. 
Yeah, uh, it's a it's a tough question, I must say. But um, yeah, I've I've certainly thought about this also also previously. And uh, what I would say for my part is what really gives me optimism is that I see a lot of strong developments. Um, we've heard here a lot from from Gilles as is one of the example companies that have really stepped up and then made a made a difference in in um, the way how they operate and the way they pursue sustainability. And yeah, there's plenty of other companies, but also other market actors that really have woken up up to the challenge and have really started uh, addressing the subject matter. So that's certainly something that that's, uh, makes me optimistic that we're not debating the matter anymore. It's, it's not about whether this is a challenge or not. We are talking about the pace and the, the um, drasticness at, at which we need to, to see change. At the same time, yeah, I also can't deny that, um, and you mentioned it there yourself, and sometimes when you see a new IPCC report coming out and you realize that despite all the efforts that have been t- put in so far, we are still not changing in the in the way and, and with the with the speed that is really required and knowing that some of the impacts of climate change are already unavoidable and that we will see see implications uh, is something that I personally also feel uh, can can be quite gloomy sometimes. So yeah, after all, I think it's for me usually to to combine the two to also accept and acknowledge that I have certain fears and and I have certain um, concerns and those can't just also be talked away or, or sugarcoated by what. We see um, uh, sort of in, in positive developments, but at the same time, and, and that's why where I liked your, your statement of, from, from earlier, trying to see myself as, as part of the solution, really as part of the picture and knowing that we have an ability to influence this change. It's not beyond us. We can play a role here. And um, that is usually what, what makes me optimistic. Uh, also seeing how many, especially of the uh, more, more recent generations are really coming into the world with this ambition to make a change and to drive a change. And I believe if we uphold this strong momentum and this strong sort of, uh, yeah, almost it's a global sense of, of a, a joint challenge that we need to tackle does make me optimistic that we will also uh, have a chance to, to, to manage it after all. I want to share everything that David said. I think um, um, what we need to avoid is, is, is uh, naive optimism, right? Uh, however, we need that energy. We need that willingness. We need that trust in our ability to drive change to be able to start making change within the society, within our industry, within the value chain we're working and, and, and living on. So I'm a desperate optimist in life. Uh, I also get sad and, and angry when I read the latest IPCC reports, the latest news on uh, the planet boundaries and, and, and the impact of, uh, of plastic pollution, typically. And that makes me want to move. That makes me want to act. Uh, at the same time, I'm getting excited when I see the uh, impact of collaboration, when I see that together with our suppliers, we have managed to uh, reduce the carbon footprint by 20% in the past, past 10 years, because that's a uh, fact. So... It's hard to live in that world of emotions. I agree. Uh, when we start to look at facts, it can be not rosy either. But then when you can have an impact like I have in my job, like my company Tetra Pak has on the value chain, that's what brings me optimism. And that's exactly what we want to bring, I would say, alongside CDP. We want to bring that awareness. We want to bring that transparency to get everybody excited, everybody aware that with sustainability focus can uh, comes change and comes 
business opportunities as well, uh, because that's important. So definitely optimist if we keep the right focus. So I hear that both of you are optimists in action. As exactly. we call it here. <laughs> Thank you again so much. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for your time today. And uh, please keep going because we need you out there in the field. Thanks very much for, for having us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the discussion. Very interesting. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you with this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?